Have you ever met somebody who sees the world differently? Their perspective is uncommon. They locate and focus on things that other people ignore. They discover things that other people overlook. They, they stay up when everybody else goes down. They break the mold. Well, this morning, I want to introduce you to a person like that, who sees the world differently. So we have some fans of Olaf in the room. Um, you know, Olaf, our favorite local snowman, he doesn't see summer the way a normal snowman would. I definitely think he's never been to Phoenix for a summer before. I don't think he'd be singing that song if he did. Um, but if you've ever seen Frozen, you know things that work out pretty well for Olaf in the end. And yet he finds a way to see things that other people don't. He has a perspective that, that no other snowman has. And this morning, I want to talk to you about having a perspective that's very different than the world we live in. Because taking the resurrection of Jesus seriously may lead you to a place not that far off from Olaf. Because the resurrection of Jesus changes everything, including our perspective. And when you begin to take seriously what happened to Jesus it may lead you to, I don't know if you'll skip around singing about summer, but, but you'll see the world differently. And so this morning, I want to share with you one of the eyewitness accounts of this event that's the reason why we're all gathered here today. So if you have a Bible, open it up or turn it on to John chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have these verses on the screen. But John was one of the closest friends that Jesus had on earth. And he wrote down his eyewitness account in his biography or gospel that bears his name. And in John chapter 20, we read about this event that we're still talking about 2,000 years later. Beginning in verse 1 of John 20, this is what we read. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. And she saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, which is John's way of referring to himself. I don't think he's being narcissistic. I think he just really appreciates his relationship with Jesus. And he said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb, and both of them were running. But the other disciple, that'd be John, outran Peter. I think he was reminding him, hey, I beat you still. Um... And he reached the tomb first, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, and following him, he went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. But Mary, this is a couple verses ahead, stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look in the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they've taken him away, my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, 
but she didn't know that it was Jesus. Imagine living that one down. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her one word, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. This morning, I want you to consider something having heard that passage. No one was expecting this. No one was expecting resurrection. See, Mary went to the tomb not looking to find Jesus back from the dead, but to complete his burial, which she got cut off doing on Friday night because of the Sabbath. So she went thinking she was going to finish preparing Jesus' body to lay there. The religious leaders didn't expect Jesus to be resurrected. Even the disciples, she had to go get Peter and John. They weren't expecting resurrection. No one was expecting it. It surprised and befuddled everyone. And if you're here today and you don't normally attend church, what you need to know is that no one debates that Jesus was an actual man who lived in the first century in Palestine. That's a historical fact. And no one debates whether he was crucified by the Romans. That's a historical fact. The thing that we all debate still 2,000 years later, believers and non-believers, was did he rise from the dead? Because if he rose from the dead, that changes things. This morning, I want to challenge you with this idea that no one was expecting resurrection then, but we can live expecting resurrection today. See, it's not a big deal if just one man came back from the dead. It just happened to him. No, the reason that we're here today is because we believe that what happened to Jesus is also available to us. And so if you're here for the first time today, maybe you're here for the first time in church in a long time, Take a deep breath. The roof hasn't caved in. Lightning has not struck the building. There's not a whole lot of clouds in the sky. Today, I want to challenge you with a question, and that is, who do you believe Jesus is? And is it possible that he came back from the dead? And even beyond that, is it possible that the reason Jesus is the most single, significant, historical figure in all of human history is because he's still alive. See, the Apostle Paul, in one of his letters, the book of 1 Corinthians, he talks about how significant the the resurrection is. These are his words. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Serious. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it's true the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who've fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if Christ, if in Christ we only have hope for this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. Think about it. If Jesus did not come back from the dead, if he had just fainted or they stole his body, then you are participating today in the greatest hoax in all of human history. 
Hundreds of millions and billions of people have been taken in an act of deception that David Copperfield couldn't duplicate. Millions of people have given their lives for a sham if Jesus was not raised from the dead. It's heavy. But Paul isn't done. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So this morning, I'm going to try to make things really simple for you so that tomorrow, when somebody asks you, what did you do for Easter? You can say, I went to church. Well, what did you hear about at church? I'm going to make it really simple for you to remember what I want to talk to you about today. I've boiled it down to two words, and anybody can remember two words. The two words I want to talk to you about today are expect resurrection. Expect resurrection. Maybe you could say those out loud to me so I know you hear me. Expect resurrection. Turn to the person next to you and say those two words. And then turn to the person you just ignored and say, I'm sorry. This morning, I want us to consider three ways, three places we can expect resurrection in our world. The first one is we can expect resurrection in ourselves. We can expect resurrection in ourselves. I want to go back to the passage I read at the beginning and talk to you for a minute about Jesus and Mary. This relationship has been the subject of some some controversy recently. If you saw the Da Vinci Code or read the books by Dan Brown, then you know that some people believe that Jesus and Mary had more than just a friendship. There's not a whole lot of sources to back that up, and we don't believe that, but you may have heard that story. What's significant about Jesus and Mary is what had happened in the past. See, Mark, in his biography of Jesus, records these words. He says that when Jesus rose on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary, and he gives us this piece of information about her, from whom he had cast out seven demons. See, it's significant that the first person Jesus reveals himself to is Mary, because Mary had already experienced the power of the resurrection, because Jesus had rewritten her story. She'd been someone who was possessed by demons, and because of that, people had taken advantage of her. If you've ever wrestled with depression or despair or your own demons, whether they're literal or metaphorical, you know that that puts you in a place where you're exposed for people to prey on you. And that had been Mary's story, and yet Jesus had freed her from that. So all Jesus has to say is her name. And she knows who it is because Jesus had seen something in her that she hadn't seen herself. And it's especially significant because in this world, women had no value. If they'd gone to court, Mary's testimony about Jesus wouldn't have stood up unless a man corroborated it. And yet the first person to hear of the resurrection was Mary. 
The first person who announced that he was alive was Mary. And it causes me to ask a question. Is it possible that God sees something in you like he did in Mary that you don't? Because many of us have this sort of blinders on when it comes to ourselves. We only see certain things as possible. We only see certain things as potential. And if we're going to live expecting resurrection, then we must begin to look for what God sees, not simply what we see through our own natural perspective. See, according to the scriptures, when it comes to you and I, from the perspective of Jesus, we are loved, created, accepted, and known by him. You are loved, created, accepted, and known by God. No matter what happened 10 years ago, or last year, or last night, you're loved, created, and known by God. And he sees in you what you don't see yourself. The reason that he gave his life and came back from the dead is that he believes it's possible for you to experience the same thing Mary did. For him to rewrite your future. Your past doesn't have to determine your future. And the reason why I know that is what Paul records in Romans 5.8. He says, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the limitations of of self-improvement and self-control and self-discipline and the self-made man is that you can't make yourself resurrected. You can't bring back the things that were lost in the past. You can't change the story that's already been written. But if someone could come back from the dead, they might be able to do that. And that's what Jesus did in Mary, and that's what he wants to do in you. And so this morning, I want to challenge you, what would it mean for you to begin expecting resurrection in yourself? Second, what would it mean for you to begin expecting resurrection in others? I believe that we can expect resurrection not only in ourselves, but in others. One of the most significant moments with Jesus after his resurrection occurs in John 21. If you want to go home and read the story, you can. After he meets Mary in John 20, he meets Peter by a lakeside. And Peter has burned Jesus in the worst way. He was one of Jesus' closest friends. And in the moment when Jesus needed him the most, Peter denied that he even knew Jesus. This is way worse than unfriending somebody on Facebook, you know, or missing an important date for them. I want you to imagine the most significant moment in your life where you needed people the most. And the person that you loved and trusted the most was like, yeah, I don't even know her. And what does Jesus do? He makes a beeline for Peter and he says, I'm going to give you a second chance. I'm going to trust you again. This is why for me, I believe that followers of Jesus should be known as second chance people. We should be known as people who create space for others 
to experience grace and redemption. That's why for me, it's so crazy. It boggles my mind how it's possible for two of the most well-known words about Christians in our culture to be judgmental and hypocritical. When where we stand today, if we're followers of Jesus, is on the second chance that Jesus gave to us. In 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes these words. He says, So from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Some versions of the Bible say according to the world. Even though we once regarded Christ this way according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. I have a question for you. How do you perceive other people? How do you look at them? Far too many of us have become comfortable using a phrase, that's just who they are, they're never going to change. We've used that phrase about others, and others have used that phrase about us. One of the most famous instances of this phrase for me comes in my life as an Arizona Cardinals fan. Football season cannot return fast enough for me. And in 2006, I thank you for that. I appreciate that. In 2006, the Cardinals were just starting to turn the corner from being the worst franchise in human history to something that's worth following. And we played the Chicago Bears on a Monday night. And it was a great first half. We were up 20 to 3. We should have won the game, but came out of halftime and they stole the game from us and we lost. And we had this colorful coach at the time, a man named Dennis Green. And he went into the press conference room, and I can't tell you what he said because you wouldn't come back next week. But, but what he said again and again, I can tell you, he said this phrase, they are who we thought they were. They are who we thought they were. And I wonder if this is the way that we perceive so many people in our lives. They are who we thought they were. They're never going to change. That's the box that they're in, and they're never going to get out of it. Now, we don't look at ourselves that way, but we perceive other people that way. You see, this is personal for me because I've lived in that box and then left it. I'm going to show you a picture of me from about 11 years ago. This is me right here. You could tell that I was keeping the hair glue company in business. During this time, that's the Mr. Incrediboy from The Incredibles. My friends said I looked like him. They told me this after I cut off all that hair, but I, I don't know why before. So if I see that photo, I see the hair glue and the spikes. But what I see beyond that is a Scott who is idealistic, who's entitled, who's arrogant, and who's naive. If we fast forward a couple years, I cut the hair and I start growing a beard. Notice I've given up on the facial hair since then. And below that facial hair, I see a Scott who is now disillusioned, cynical, frustrated, angry, and bitter. And if I fast forward to just a few months ago, the difference is stark. It's a Scott who's more hopeful, more teachable, more humble, transformed. 
and the reason that this Scott is there and he's here is A, the power of the resurrection, and B, people who created space and believed it was possible for me to change. And that's why for you this morning, I want to challenge you that we get to experience resurrection because other people believe it's possible for us. And the day needs to end where we believe that we can be resurrected, but other people, they are who we thought they were and they're never going to change. If you are a person who has experienced the resurrection of Jesus, you need to ban that phrase from your vocabulary. Because if it's possible for you, you should make it available for them. Now, for all my friends who are recovering cynics in the room, let me just make this caveat. Some people don't change. Either they don't want to, they don't open themselves up to the power of that resurrection, or they resist it. And it is not your job to force them open. It is your job to hold space and expect it. And it's their job to choose it. The third place that we can expect resurrection is in our world. We can expect resurrection in our world. One of the saddest things for me as I've looked at the landscape of Christians today is so many of them who are depressed, despairing, and hopeless when it comes to the future. Because we know how the story ends. In the book of Revelation, chapter 21, Jesus says these words. He says, Behold, I am making all things new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. See, the the world has always known crises. The world has always known moments where people could choose despair, but Jesus promises us that he is going to make all things new because of what started in the resurrection. Dr. N.T. Wright, who's one of the leading experts on this section of the Bible, wrote this phrase here I'm about to show you about what it means to take seriously the resurrection and apply it to the future. He said, so far from being an odd or isolated supernatural event, Jesus' resurrection is to be seen as the beginning of the new world, the first day of the new week, the unveiling of the prototype of what God is now going to accomplish in the rest of the world. The resurrection of Jesus isn't just an event that happened a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It's a reality that is remaking our world today, and this is why for the last two millennia, followers of Jesus have served the poor, cared for the dying, fed the hungry, mentored the fatherless, visited those in prison, built schools and hospitals, served in politics, taken in orphans and widows and foster children, dug wells and shared the hope they have in Jesus Christ because we believe the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. And we believe that we can expect the resurrection to continue to remake our world. And so when CNN tells us there's a new item of breaking news, we don't cower in fear and think that things are getting darker. We believe the darkness has already been conquered. And so we look forward with hope because we worship and follow the one who said, behold, I'm making all things new.
That's why we expect resurrection in our world. So every year I come to moments like this as a pastor, and I have a lot of mixed feelings because I know what is going to happen for many of you. Tomorrow you're going to vacuum up the fake green grass that's falled all over your carpet. You're going to put the eggs away. You're going to take the pastels that you look incredible in right now, by the way. They're going to go back in your closet, and life is going to go on. And for many of you, it's going to be as if today never happened. See, the, the, the tragedy of Easter is the letdown. That for so many of us, it's just one day a year. It changes until Monday. It's all different until Tuesday. And I want to challenge you this morning with an idea. What would it mean for you to live expecting resurrection every single day? What would it mean? We need that hope. What would it mean for you to be an Easter person all year long? Next week, we're going to start a new series called Resurrection People, Living as Easter People All Year Long. And we're going to talk about what does it mean for the resurrection to impact how we parent, how we love, how we're friends, how we do our work, how we live in our community, how it impacts every area of our life. Because if the resurrection is the center point of our faith, and like a Jenga game, you pull it out and it all falls apart, then we have to talk about it for more than one day a year. It has to be significant for more than one day in the spring. And so we're going to invite you back next Sunday for this journey with us. But before you go, I have a couple questions for you that I hope you ponder longer than today. The first one is, what if you began to expect resurrection in yourself? I'm not talking about building up your self-esteem and telling yourself you're amazing. I'm talking about what if you began to say, is it possible that God could do in me what he did in Jesus? That he could raise life from death. That he could bring beauty from ashes. That he could bring hope out of darkness that your past didn't have to be your future. What if you began to expect resurrection in others? Think about it. Who have you given up on? Who have you written off? Who have you decided they're never going to be any different? And what would it mean if you began to expect and hold space for God to do in them what you're expecting him to do in yourself? And third, what if you began to expect resurrection in our world? What if you said, you know what, I'm going to watch the news, but I'm not going to be succumbed to the voices of fear and hopelessness. I'm going to engage online, but I'm not going to participate in trafficking the messages of despair and negativity and destruction. I'm going to begin to allow Easter to permeate and influence the way that I look at the future. This stuff that we've been talking about today, it's not theory. It is the most important thing in life. 
Last Monday, we were setting up for some of the things we're doing during Holy Week, and one of our staff members came in and told me that a woman who sat in these seats just three weeks ago, who was a regular attender in our church, last Sunday morning, while we were celebrating Palm Sunday here, she took her life. See, I've learned that you can live for weeks without food. You can go eight to ten days without sleep. You can go a hundred hours without water. You can go three to five minutes without oxygen. But you cannot live another second of your life without hope. And she stopped expecting resurrection in herself. She stopped expecting it in other people. And she stopped expecting it in her world. This is real. And if you have been in one of those dark places like she has, we want you to know today that there is hope. There is a reason to keep on living. And the darkness does not have to reign in your life. God wants to bring resurrection. And we want to help you to discover that. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much that this is a place where we can be honest and truthful. We may look like we've put on our best today, but for many of us, these clothes are, are hiding brokenness and pain, despair and darkness. We live in a world, God, that is desperate for hope. And into this world, you sent Jesus. And for a time, we thought that, that even he had been defeated while his body laid in that grave for three days. But there is no body to be found today. That tomb is empty. God, we thank you for the announcement that Easter is that hope wins. I pray for my friends in this room today who have been walking through dark days. Maybe who've been at the point that that woman was. Contemplated similar things. I pray that you would allow their hearts to hear these words. There is hope. And his name is Jesus. This morning, if you're here today or you're watching online and you've never experienced that hope, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, you've never experienced resurrection, but you want to, I'd like to ask you to be so bold as to raise your hand right now. Thank you. Whether you raised your hand on the outside where you raised it on the inside, I want to invite you to put your faith and trust in the one who is still in the resurrection business and to pray these words along with me. God, I want you to resurrect my life today. I 
give myself to you. Take my brokenness, take my sin, take my shame, take my past, and bring new life to me. I put my faith and my trust in you. I ask that you forgive me. I commit to follow you. May you lead me to hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer today, we would love to pray with you and for you. We're going to have prayer partners across the front. If you're somebody who believes in the resurrection, but you've been placing people in a box, but resurrection isn't allowed, maybe you need to come forward and pray. Maybe you need to go find somebody in this room today. Maybe you need to step out and call somebody on the phone and say, hey, I'm sorry. I stopped expecting resurrection in you. Maybe you just need to sit in your seat and pray and repent of the fact that you've been a person who believed in the resurrection, but you didn't expect it in our world. You've been a follower of Jesus, but a purveyor of fear. We're going to stand and sing a song in a moment that says, earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. And those aren't just words on a screen. They are the anthem of our heart this morning. So we're going to invite you to stand and sing with us and respond as God leads you. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.